0: Hello Church, my name is Alice and we'll be reading uh, today's passage from Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. Please follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen above. Acts chapter 1. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. Uh, For those that are new or visiting for the first time, my name is Jay. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm very excited as we continue on in our vision series. And uh, if you are new or if you're just joining us, we are starting our vision series to really describe and explain what our church is about where we are headed, and what we wanna to accomplish together as a community, as, as a body of believers, and even for those that are maybe new or, uh, or still thinking about what it means to be someone who follows Jesus. So number one, we wanna just kind of, sh- I wanna sh- uh, paint a big picture for us and, and what we, w- we desire to look like as a church and that you wouldn't be able to come along with us on that journey. Uh, if, if I'm there by myself, it's kind of kinda of suck, all right? So I want you guys to be a part of that journey as well. So for the next uh, seven weeks now, we're gonna continue on as we really describe the vision of our church the purpose, what we wanna look like, what we wanna achieve, and also talk about the values of our church. What is it that we actually value? What are the core values uh, in which we are gonna operate to achieve this vision? So now, um, as we continue on, just I wanna kinda explain just my brief uh, history as a Christian. Uh, my family, uh, you know, I was born in Korea. Uh, both my dad's side and my mom's side, uh, they, were, uh, they were Buddhists. So I remember as a young kid, we'd go to Buddhist temples. You know, I would do like, these weird rituals where I'd, like, I'd like, get water from like, a little bowl and like, pour it. I don't, I don't even know what that was, but I just remember doing it. We'd write light incense to our ancestors, and uh, that was just a very common thing that I was a part of. And uh, when I was six years old, we immigrated from South Korea to uh, California, and then uh, you know, my life kind of slowly started changing. Uh, I, I was in Southern California, had, I didn't, you know, didn't know English at all. So you know, when you go to school, they place you next to someone who might speak Korean so that they can translate. And my translator in my class happened to be siblings with my brother's translator in his class. And uh, you know, so it kind of worked out that way. Uh, my mom met her, you know, their mom, and then eventually, she invited our family out to church. So my mom, my brother, and myself, uh, my dad and my sister did not want to go to church. So the three of us, we started attending church. And that's where we started understanding and hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the time I got to middle school, I got heavily involved in, uh, in, in, in my youth group. You know, every Friday night, I spent uh, you know, at church, You know, I would hang out with all the older brothers and sisters, they would drive us around to Denny's, Uh, they would drive us around to In-N-Out, we would eat, right, Uh, we'd we'd play, uh, you know, church games. I didn't even know where these games uh, games originated from, but there's a game called Mafia, where you're basically in a Christian setting taught how to lie, right, and deceive. (laughs) Um, we'd play like these weird games. There was one game called Chubby Bunny where you would just put as many marshmallows in your mouth and, and try to say Chubby Bunny, you know, and then the person who has the most, most marshmallows in their mouth while being able to say Chubby Bunny was the winner. Like, who comes up with these games, right? I thought it was just normal. Uh, I, I got involved in the, in the worship ministry. I was on the worship team and, you know, I noticed Pastor Eugene on the base several times now on stage and I'm still waiting for my invite. You know, I, I don't know. Just, just kidding, don't invite me. But uh, you know, it, so it was really in, in that middle school time when I really got heavily involved and embedded within church and youth ministry and, and kind of learned what it meant to be a Christian. Now once I started high school, uh, there was this, you know, I'll call it the dark ages where uh, I, I started rebelling, uh, you know, I started hanging out with a different group of friends and for the entirety of my high school years, I did not attend church. As a matter of fact, you know, it, it was almost as if the church had shunned me you know, like I once came back on a Friday and was like, oh, you're here, you know, it was, it was, kind, of, it was kind of weird, right? Uh, but by the grace of God, when I went back to college, I got involved in a campus ministry, and it was there where I rededicated my life to Jesus. And I remember that transition going into college and, and starting attending this campus ministry, going back to church, and it was a very seamless transition. It was as if I, I was kind of going back home to where I belonged. Uh, so once I started getting rededicated to Christianity and, and, and Jesus, I, I made it my mission. I said, you know what, I'm going to go back home from school and I'm going to make sure that all my high school friends that do not go to church, that they will go to church with me and they're going to become Christian. So I remember going back. I remember uh, trying to, you know, kind of force and, and, and make my friends go to church with me. And some of them who also grew up in church, um, it was kind of normal for them. But those that did not grow up in church, those that uh, never went to church with their family, um, they were like, dude, Jay, I'm never going to church with you again. And I was like, I need to pray for them more, right? I was like, why? And they said, dude, you guys do weird things. I was like, and I got so offended. I was like, what do you mean you do weird things? They're like, you guys just, I I can't explain You guys just do weird things. And And I chalked it up to like, oh, they are so embedded in the world that they are so opposed to God that they cannot even step foot in church. Now, as I grew older and a little bit wiser and I did more ministry and became a pastor, I realized, oh, I understood where they're coming from. What they were describing was that there is a culture within Christianity that was unfamiliar to them. That there's a a, a culture within evangelical Christianity that if you did not grow up in it or if you were not uh, familiar with it, that it would actually seem a little weird. It wasn't so much that they disagreed with the message or that you know because they knew what who Jesus was they knew what the message was I mean if you grew up in America uh, you'll you'll kind of pick up on it what they were unfamiliar with was the natural or or this organic culture that that it uh, you know existed within the church that made them feel uncomfortable and weird and that's very true it's something that we have to acknowledge that within Christianity, especially if you grew up in the church, um, that there is a certain culture here that exists. That for those that may not be familiar with that culture, they may step foot into this uh, building and be like, whoa, this is kind of weird stuff, right? E- even some of the liturgy that we have of, of, of reading scripture out loud, confessing sins, of, of standing up to sing a song, you know? like, it, it, like that might be a little bit of weird, right? Even some of the language that we use, some of the things that I might even say in today's sermon that if you did not grow up in church, you might not pick up on what I'm trying to say, some idioms and such. So today as we talk about what it means for us as a church to to really strive after our vision, to, to be a place, a church that points the Bay Area to the true north of the gospel, we have to kind of understand and acknowledge that perhaps some of the things that we believe in, some of the things that we practice culturally might actually be a hindrance to those that are unfamiliar with Jesus. So I'm gonna to try to convey to us what are we trying to accomplish as a community of people? And when I say as a community of people, I mean both believers and non-believers that are here in this room. You might be a skeptic. You might be someone that is still seeking. You might be someone that is still searching for for answers, but feel connected in a part of this community. Or you might be a lifelong Christian. Our goal is the same, that we will be a community of people gathering today to make sure that we are Holy Spirit-powered witnesses in our Jerusalem. So when we look at the passage here in Acts chapter 11, we're gonna focus in on what it means to be witnesses in our Jerusalem. So first of all, the first point is this, that we need to be witnesses to ourselves. When, when Jesus gives the command that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, the first question that we have to ask is what does it mean to be witnesses to our Jerusalem? Now before we go into that, I'm gonna define what a witness is, right? Uh, there are even in a court of law today there are eyewitnesses to certain events and then there's also secondary witnesses we obviously are not eyewitnesses to the life death and resurrection of Jesus and yet we are still called to be witnesses to the ends of the earth because we are secondary witnesses in any major you know, cataclysmic event or 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 even just a small event there's going to be a time when people are eyewitnesses and then there are secondary witnesses who through that event their lives are impacted and, sec- and there are secondary witnesses. In that same way, even though we are not eyewitnesses to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that event in itself has impacted our lives in such a way that we are now witnesses to that event. We can testify, we can proclaim, and we can share very confidently that our lives are changed because of what happened 2,000 years ago. So that is, that is what we're talking about, about being a witness. We are, we are here to, to proclaim that truth. And the first place that we are commanded to proclaim that truth is Jerusalem. Now, here in the book of Acts, this, this, this uh, command is, is geographical, right? Uh, they were literally in Jerusalem. Um, that does not mean that we have to buy a ticket to Israel and go to Jerusalem and start our witness there. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's symbolic. Jerusalem is symbolic now to us of, of where we are located to the people surrounding us. Now, for the people of Israel, even in the Old Testament, it was very clear that the, the plan that God had was that they would be witnesses to the rest of the world. So in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, it says this, you are my witnesses, as the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel, it says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. And then in chapter 49, verse 6 of Isaiah, says, it says, is it, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So the plan that God had was this, that first of all, that the people of Israel, that they would be his light so that they would go forth to the rest of the world. So, so the, 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 the plan or, or the order of things is that first you must witness to Jerusalem, then you can go out to the outskirts of Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. So the question is, is what, what does it mean to witness to the people of Jerusalem? And why was that so important? And when you look at the very first nine chapters of, of, of the book of Acts, we see the disciples and apostles and the followers of Jesus witnessing both to the the, the Jewish people who did not follow Jesus when Jesus was doing ministry on earth, and also to the very own people who were part of the, the followers of Jesus. Why? Because by witnessing, they weren't just proclaiming that Jesus was a real person, because everyone knew. 2,000 years ago, they knew who Jesus was. They were not just proclaiming the teachings of Jesus, because a lot of them heard his teachings. They were proclaiming his death and resurrection because some people did not believe in it, but they were also re-educating themselves on the fact that the deep embeddedness of the cultural Judaism that they were living in was something that needed to be corrected. So now, we see this very plainly um, in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Apostle Peter, who was the first one to, you know, he's the, the, the cornerstone of the church, In Acts chapter 10, Apostle Peter is given a vision. In this vision, he was given a vision of all these creepy crawlies. That's one of the older translations. All these different types of animals that were deemed unclean by the Jewish people. And the voice of the Lord said, Peter, eat. And his response was, God, I'll never eat. I've never eaten anything unclean or common. And he says, "What what I have called clean, you cannot call unclean. Now, this might be like a weird thing, especially if you've never heard this story before, but let me try to explain it in the very easiest way possible. The Jewish people believe that there are certain things that you can and cannot eat. That there are certain foods that were deemed clean and certain foods that were deemed unclean. And for a person growing up in Judaism, one of the most uh, uh, dishonorable things or one of the most uh, heinous things that they can do is to defile themselves to make themselves unholy by eating something that is unclean. So the vision that Apostle Peter received was that here was this blanket full of like lizards and, 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 and bugs and snakes and all these things that the people of Israel said that these are unclean meats to eat. And God gave them a vision and a command, and said, no, you sit down and eat. Because there's now no more separation between the people of Israel and Gentiles. The message of salvation is for everybody. Now this was a deeply embedded cultural norm that Apostle Peter and the rest of the Jewish Christians had to re-educate themselves on. This idea that Gentiles were unclean. This idea that unless you convert to the ceremonial laws of Judaism, that you would not be accepted into the household of God. This was part of the witness to Jerusalem that Christians of that day, that the apostles, that the, the, the leaders, that they would educate themselves on what the gospel message was and who it was intended for. That it is no longer just for the Jewish people, that it was no longer just for people who are willing to adopt the cultural norms of Judaism, but that now the message of salvation through Jesus Christ was, was available for everybody. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because this is also very true even in our case today. 2,000 years later, we know that we are very different from the Jewish people, right? Uh, you know, we, we worship on Sundays, you know, there's, there's a lot of ceremonial and different things that we no longer abide by, but yet, very similar to what cultural Judaism had become back in Jesus' day, the Christian church has also become. We have become a center of cultural norms that may oftentimes be contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our desire oftentimes as a church or as Christianity is that we want people to conform to the Christian cultural norms more so than conform to the image of Jesus Christ. There's so many different rules and regulations within Christianity and it's different depending on what church you grew up in, what what type of church you grew up in, what denomination you grew up in, or even just a different type of ethnic churches that exist within Christianity, of the different cultural norms that we have. And we are more about changing people to abide by those cultural norms than seeing transformation in their hearts through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about what it means to witness to our Jerusalem, it means that we have to do a, a hard audit of what are these culture norms that are actually hindering people from getting to know who Jesus is the real Jesus Now I believe that there are many things that oftentimes that we don't even that we have blinders on that unless we speak to people who have not attended church their, you know, for a long time or all their lives, or even just speaking to new Christians that attend our church, having conversations with them, they'll tell you, hey, these are the, the weird cultural things that exist even within, specifically within True North. Or hey, these are some weird or, or unfamiliar cultural things that I, I see within Christianity that I never really grew up in. Why do you guys do things this way? Or, or why do you emphasize this? And, and unless we have those conversations, we won't know. Now, I, I believe that... Um, being away from Christianity for those, you know, about three, four years uh, in my high school years also kinda gave me a glimpse of what people might assume or what people might feel about church. And, and, it, and you don't have to step away from Christianity to even understand that. If you've been attending our church for a while, you can go to another church here in the Bay Area and be like, whoa, this feels a little uncomfortable because there's gonna be a different culture there as well. You can go to a church of a different denomination and be like, whoa, they do things a little differently, and you might feel a little ostracized there too. So what is the goal? Why do we gather? The reason why we gather together is not just so you can hear a message that's gonna make you feel good. The reason why we gather is not so that we can just see the friends that we haven't seen all week. It's not so if you're a parent, you can drop off your kids somewhere and just have an hour of peace and quiet, maybe sometimes an hour and 15 minutes of peace and quiet hour and 20 minutes if we go really long, right? It, it, that's not the purpose. We gather here together because we have to reorient our hearts to what is the very foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just cultural Christianity. We are not here to conform people to act and live a certain way that we are comfortable with. We are here to teach we are here to share, we are here to proclaim that all the different types of people and all the different things that we hold on to, all the different baggage that we bring, that the gospel of Jesus is for them. And to be able to distinguish and differentiate between what is biblical foundational truths and what are cultural norms that we've grown up with. To give an example of what I'm talking about is this. Um, and I'm gonna speak very specifically to uh, more of an Asian American, even maybe even a specifically Korean American Christianity. When I was growing up, and even still, if, if you are like Gen X and older, you, you still have this kind of like deeply embedded in you. Now, I'll speak to the younger crowd a little bit, but but we believe that a good Christian is someone that doesn't smoke, that's someone, someone that doesn't drink, someone that goes to the church at least 45 times out of the year, right? And, and, and someone who, who's able to, um, do Bible study or lead Bible study? And you're like, as long as I'm there, then I'm a good Christian. And so we perpetuate that idea, and then we we look and we say, well then how are we going to raise disciples? And we say, oh, we need people to look like that. So the very moment you see and realize, hey, someone else is, hey, they might be drinking a little too much. I heard they smoke. I heard they don't go to Bible study. I heard they don't go to church that often. We gotta make sure that changes. Now, now here's the thing, are all, those are all good things. You shouldn't drink too much, you shouldn't smoke too much, you, shouldn't, you should go to Bible study, you should go to church, but when that becomes the main thing, what you are doing is you are turning people into cultural Christians and not really turning them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes what ends up happening is, and this is inevitable, because we're all hypocrites. We're all legalists, we're all hypocrites. What ends up happening is that you no longer see the need for your own transformation, and you only observe and pick on the, the, the need for transformation in others. So now, I saw a meme recently, and it really reminded me of my very own personal uh, uh, you know, event that happened in my life. Um, there was a, a kid at my school, in middle school, he was a little weird, right, everyone? He, and, and I feel bad, but you know, you know, there's sometimes people like that you kind of pick on them and they do weird things um, This kid he would eat like four to five Mozo, you know string cheese for lunch every day He would have his lunch and then he would eat like four or five string cheeses and be like gross Why are you eating four or five string cheeses? You know in one sitting who does that you could only eat one maybe like one and a half Right, but then the fa- my favorite thing to order at restaurants was mozzarella sticks and I can eat like six of them. So as long as you know, string cheeses are breaded and defried, you're allowed to eat like six or seven with ranch and marinara. But if it's just string cheese, how dare you eat more than one? But that's, that's really how we operate. Right? We say, hey, how dare you drink? But it's okay when I drink wine with a meal. Hey, how dare you live in this way? But it's okay when I do it this way. Oftentimes, when we are nitpicking the ideas of cultural Christianity, we are saying, you can't do this in this context, but it's okay for me to do this in my context. It's that type of hypocrisy that we really need to call out amongst ourselves, because that's the reality of just how depraved our hearts can be. And that's basically what Apostle Apostle Peter, Apostle Paul, and the other apostles were calling out within within the uh, religion of Judaism. They're saying, hey, how can you say this is unclean and you do this? How can you say that this person is not obeying the Sabbath when you do this? Before I keep going on and on, I'm gonna move on to the next point. Now, when we think about what is the purpose of the church, Not only is it so that we can call out the inconsistencies of our Christian cultural norms, the reason why we gather is so that we can also urge and push one another to not seek comfort, not seek comfort in church, okay? Now I'm gonna be very kind of clear of what I'm talking about here. Number one, the reason why my mom decided it's time for us to go to church when we got invited by our, our friends, parents, is because as an immigrant, living in a new country, what better way to feel at home than to go to an immigrant church? You are, you are with people that you are familiar with. You are p- with people that look like it. You are with people that understand your culture. You are with people that understand uh, uh, you know, your language. Now, oftentimes, when we seek out, for Christians specifically, when you are seeking churches, uh, when you move to a new area, why, right? If you're here, if you're not from the Bay Area uh, and you move to the Bay Area for work or whatever it is that brought you here and you're thinking, oh, it's time for me to go to church, why? The weather here is amazing, right? Um, on a Sunday, how awesome would it be if we could just go to Yosemite and just chill and then come back? Or go to Santa Cruz and then come back? Or hang out in San Francisco, only in, the certain, only in certain parts and then come back? You know, like how awesome would that be? And if you're a family with kids how awesome would it be if you didn't have to worry about church on Sunday you can just go to a kid's birthday party hang out ride your bikes and and like amazing but the reason why a lot of times if you grow up in church you seek out a church is because you're in a new environment you may not have a lot of connections you may not have a lot of friends you're thinking oh I want to go to a place that is familiar I want to go to a place where I can feel at home I want to go to a place that I can feel comfortable and so oftentimes we do a lot of things. We, you know, leadership, myself included, I'm guilty of this, we try to do a lot of things to make our environment, to make our ministries as comfortable as possible because we want a lot of people to come and feel good. That is not what's going on here in the first century church. When they were called to be witnesses in Jerusalem, they were doing things that were absolutely uncomfortable. After, they, after there was, the Holy Spirit came and, and many people came to Christ, uh, many people earned, uh, um, you know, received salvation, this is a, 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 a pre, uh, kind of a view of what the church looked like in that time. In chapter two, verse 44, it says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this isn't a command. This is a, a description of what the church looked like and when we kind of break down what the, what the church looked like in that day, they were a group of people who were not striving for comfort, but who were living in their discomfort for the sake of loving those around them. If you asked any of us, myself included, hey, sell your possessions so that those that are in need could have some things, they're like, "Ooh, I don't know about that. You know, I'll give out of my abundance, I'll give out of my extra, but to tell me to sell all my possessions so that we can live, so that others can have what they need, uh, that's way too uncomfortable for me. Way too uncomfortable. And, and we ask ourselves, well, what, is it actually, what is the difference between the church and uh, Acts and, and our church? Today, we do everything for comfort. We, 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 we make sure that our community groups are a certain size so that it's comfortable. We make sure that certain Bible studies or meetings at a certain time so that it's comfortable. And this is no knock to those that are serving and, and you know, our, our setup team and our worship team, they get here super early, right? Super early to serve, but there's certain decisions we make like, ah, let's not put up those signs or let's not worry about that because that's gonna be too much of a discomfort for you guys. Even, even some of the things that we ask for our members, we go, whoa, whoa, that's gonna be too much, right? Now, discomfort is what allows us to grow. Now, I saw a video recently of, uh, of parents submitting things that their college freshmen asked them via text, all right? Um, I was a college freshman 25 years ago. I don't believe it. <laughs> But it said, uh, so first of all, this mom uh, texted or commented uh, that her, her child said, uh, hey, how do I take my clothes out of the washing machine? Do I just reach in there with my hands? <laughs> um, another, another child, uh, while they were at the store, texted you know, the mom and said, uh, hey, where do I find the pasta water? <laughs> um, another, another student texted their parents and said, hey, uh, I'm going to a football game in Arkansas. Uh, can you find my passport for me? Uh, <clears throat> Because they thought they needed their passport. You know, um, another said, "Hey, can I use my Christmas stamp to email or to mail something in July?" And lastly, um, oh, that was the last one, right? And I realized, oh, you know what? We, especially parents, of you know, if you're a parent, we try to remove every obstacle and hardship from the lives of our children because we want them to be comfortable. And I know that if you grew up as an immigrant child, you know. With, with immigrant parents, we kind of want to do that even more because of all the things that we had to do. You know, as a 10-year-old trying to translate government you know, documents to my parents, that sucked. And I was like, I'm never gonna make my kid do that. Having to talk to an insurance company because my mom got in an accident when I was you know, nine years old and trying to, you know, you know, like, who wants to go through that, right? So you try to remove every obstacle imaginable. And what ends up happening is we, we raise children that don't know how to fend for themselves, that don't know how to do anything for themselves. In that same way, in the church, we are trying to remove so many obstacles and discomforts from the lives of our members that we disciple and we raise Christians who are unable to do anything for themselves. Now, I'm gonna confess, that's me for sure, because I love comfort, I love it. I believe that I operate the best in discomfort, uh, but when the pandemic hit, man, that was my comfort heaven, right? I no longer had to go to church in person. None of you emailed me. None of you tried to talk to me, right? I didn't have to talk to anybody except for my kids and, and my wife, right? I, I, on Sundays, I would record my sermon on Thursdays, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, boom. You know what I mean? I'll be very honest. There were some Sundays when me and Pastor Eugene, we played golf, well, you know because it was all recorded right so awesome so comfortable But that desire for comfort it bled in to even now as we're gathering in person And, and because of that my muscles it, 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 it was it was atrophied and, and and all the frustrations and all the difficulties that I had in leading and, and, and doing ministry was because what I really wanted was comfort and I decided, you know, and I knew that we need to be more uncomfortable. My, my, I put my kids in jujitsu because I wanted them to be uncomfortable. And then, um, and then their membership came with my membership. And I was like, oh, maybe I should do it too. And I did it a couple times, but I don't want to do it because it's so uncomfortable. And I realized, no, I need to put myself through this because I need to put myself in uncomfortable situations. You know, if you want to be uncomfortable, do jujitsu, you know why? You're like in close proximity with a random stranger. Uh, you know, they're sweating on me, I'm sweating on them. You know, and, like you gotta grab them in weird places. And this one dude, man, I was doing jujitsu with him. He smelled so bad, like so bad. I hope he he will never, come. I don't think he'll ever come to my church, but he smells so bad. And. and I was almost about to throw up in my mouth so many times, and I was so close to just tapping out and be like, oh, I can't do it anymore, but I was like, no, I gotta be uncomfortable. Because this is a lesson. In that same way, when we look at the first century church, they thrived in discomfort. Not only were they selling their possessions to love one another in discomfort, but every time persecution came into their lives, Christianity spread. Stephen was martyred, what happened? The message of the gospel spread. Apostle Peter was put in prison, what happened? This message of the gospel spread. The only time that God, and you would think, hey God, like, hey, people are being killed, shouldn't you intervene? He doesn't. Because he understood that in discomfort is when the gospel message would go out and that the, uh, their calling to be witnesses would be made manifest. The first time that God intervenes in the book of Acts is when Ananias and Sapphira lie to the church. Okay, I'm gonna be real quick with this story because this is very important. During this time when Christians were selling all their possessions and sharing it amongst themselves, there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They also wanted the glory of selling their possessions and and getting, be like, wow, you sold your possessions? So what they did was they sold all their possessions, but they lied about how much they sold it for. So let's say they sold all their possessions for hundred thousand dollars but they told everyone we sold all our possessions for eighty thousand dollars and they gave eighty thousand dollars to the to the commune because they wanted to keep twenty thousand dollars for themselves and you know what happened boom god struck them down dead why because god understood that the greatest hindrance to the church is not discomfort but it is division because the moment people will start talking there will be gossip they will start murmuring People would get ideas, maybe this is what I should do. And so he, put, he struck him down on the spot because he did not want the church to be hindered in this very beginning stages of growth. But when persecution, when people were being killed for their faith, God did not intervene. And isn't it weird that right now in our church, in our church today, oftentimes we intervene at the very moment or the very hint of discomfort in people's lives, thinking that that is what our job is to be, uh, that is what we're called to do. No, we are called to live in the discomfort of this world so that we can love others and we can proclaim the truth of the gospel to those that do not know him. So practically speaking, what is the vision that we have for our church? Number one, the purpose of gathering together on Sundays is this, that we are not here to make you feel comfortable. We are not here so that you can hear a message that's gonna make you feel good. Now obviously, I'm gonna do my best to describe and show you the love of God and and, and you should feel absolute comfort in that. But I'm not here to just kinda sugarcoat things. We are here to gather so that we can witness to ourselves and together as a group to the very cultural norms of Christianity that may not even be biblical truths. There's a lot of things that we think Jesus said that he did not say. There's a lot of things that we think that that Jesus taught that he did not actually teach. Who, Who came up with the idea that smoking is a sin? No, seriously. Smoking didn't become popularized until the 16th century. People didn't really smoke, you know, like it wasn't a big deal then, but why? Right, we start teaching weird things like, oh no, but the body is the temple of God. See, absolutely, but the context of the body of the temple of God is talking about sexual immorality sleeping with prostitutes. And the very person that says the body is the temple of God is the person who probably eats 5,000 calories a day and doesn't exercise. Right? We, we do that kind of stuff. I mean, there's, there's so many different things within cultural Christianity that we believe to be true and that we perpetuate that we need to say no, that it may not be true. In the same way, we are also here to, to, to speak against licentiousness. We are, Honestly, I feel uncomfortable calling out people's sins. Right, who does? But we need to. We are headed in a culture now where, you know, I, I said the, the older generation, Gen X and older is more legalistic. Uh, the younger generation, uh, we're, not we're, sorry, I try to put myself in there. <laughs> you guys are a lot more uh, uh, licentious. Antinomianism is the idea that you can do whatever you want. Okay, licentiousness is that you have freedom to live however way you want, okay? I know some people are like, I don't know what licentiousness means. I didn't know either until last week. <laughs> right, so there, there's a lot of things where, where we assume that hey, because the culture is okay with it, we should be okay with it. <clears throat> yeah, drinking is okay, but drunkenness isn't. The Bible is clear on that. Right? Yeah, being in a, being, dating someone is okay, right? Sexual impurity is not. Right, cohabitating before marriage is not. These are things that we need to be aware of and, and, and be called out on. And, and that's what we hope that we, our purpose is when we gather. Next, we're going to challenge our members to serve in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, all right? We are no longer gonna coddle you. Now, do you have to do what I say? Absolutely not, I'm not a cult leader, okay? I kind of, no, no, anyway, I'm not to say that. <laughs> I'm not a cult leader. But we're gonna push you we're not gonna call to you. You're a family with kids? Good. Model for your children what it means to serve others. You're busy with your work? Good. Teach yourself that the idol of career is not all that it's up to be. Serving others out of your discomfort is what it means to be a witness to our Jerusalem. Right now, we are, we are asking, and again, this is where I want, uh, this is where I fall into my comfort. I ask the same people to serve, because I know I can trust them, and I know it's easy. No longer. We're gonna ask all the, the people I'm uncomfortable asking to serve. Why? Because that's the purpose of why we gather, to serve the church, to serve one another. Because it is not until we can serve the church and serve one another that we cannot be sent out to serve our Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. A lot of people sometimes, you know, and, and it's usually millennials, they'll say, hey, how can we don't do outreach? Well, first let's serve the church. Then, then let's, let's go out. Right? Now, we are doing outreach now, but hey, you should, we should do that, right? For seekers and unbelievers, um, we're gonna make you feel uncomfortable. And and not that we want to make you feel unwelcomed or to put hindrances upon you. We're we're saying we're going to make you feel uncomfortable with some of the things that we teach. That the gospel is absolutely uncomfortable to a heart that has not been transformed. The message that you are not good enough on your own, therefore you need someone else to save you, is an uncomfortable message. We are not here to sugarcoat truth. We are here to proclaim truth. We want you to feel absolutely comfortable in this community. We want you to feel absolutely comfortable coming here, and we want you to feel comfortable knowing that maybe that you are accepted and welcomed, but you will feel uncomfortable when the gospel is preached. Lastly, I really believe that the purpose of us gathering is so that we can prepare to go forth and be witnesses outside of this context as well. We talked about this last week. We're not here just to serve ourselves. We're not here just to just do a holy huddle. We're here to say that we are gathered, we serve one another so that, so that we can serve those outside these walls. The next week we're gonna talk about what that means, what that would look like, and I hope that every single one of us here that you will be urged and that you will be convicted to be a part of this. Now, I'm not saying tomorrow you're gonna to change, but hopefully over the years, over the weeks, over the months, that you will, you will desire to be a part of this. Let's pray.